Ayano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this Holy crap, teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 441, the 2023 Mossy Oak Wild Turkey Conservation Stamp, and some other stuff. And I am your co-host and the guy who is batting over. And I am your co-host and the guy who is on the road in a rain. So if you hear some rain noise, sorry. Yeah. What we're dealing with. Got a little little background noise, but you know, that's one of the sounds on my white noise app that I have on my phone. And so if I doze off, which is <laughs> very likely anyway. <laughs> it is late turkey season for you. So. <laughs> Just, you know, give me a gentle nudge. I'll wake up. There you go. What are you, what are you batting over for? Because I know for a fact it's not at killing turkeys. No, it's not. Thank God. But <laughs> over the past week, I have had an opportunity to <clears throat> accidentally run over two raccoons, a possum, and an armadillo ah. in the road, in the highway. And I'm over. Dang, man. Now, I, 
you know, I'm not going to run off the road to try to hit one, but I mean, these were like right smack dab in the middle of my lane. Oh man. What did they go between the tires? The armadillo, I, I have to admit that was this morning and the armadillo, I could have whacked him and I pulled the wheel just a little bit to miss him. It was not going to be pretty. Oh, no. The raccoons <laughs> were absolutely going 100 miles an hour across the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they usually don't stop and look. No. And the possum, before, <laughs> the possum is really funny because I'm coming around a curve in the road, and, I mean, just as soon as I got around the curve, on the edge of my lane is this possum, and just natural reaction, I jerked away from it because uh, you, know, you just see something in your lane. Yeah. And then yeah, by the time, yeah, by the time my my brain registered it was a possum, it was too late. I wasn't about to jerk the wheel because I know what happens when you do that when you jerk back the other way. You overcompensate right. and end up in a ditch. Yeah. Well, I'm two for three, so I'm actually an all star right now. My batting average. I got got a possum and an armadillo, but I missed the raccoon. Mmm. Yeah, so, well, and, uh, but I've I'll got, take two for three. Yeah, no doubt. I've got, you know, some more time. I'll, I'm going to try to do better yeah, while being safe, of course. That could be the next Super Slam thing, the, the roadkill Super Slam to help turkeys. That's right. I like it. I think that's a good idea. I, I like it. So. Well, you want to hop in here and talk to Daniel Hayes from Mossy Oak? He's yeah. joining us again this year to update us on the new, well, I guess update us on the old Tell us about the new and talk to us about a really cool opportunity he had to take Tom Kelly, the Colonel, turkey hunt. Yeah, great story. So lots of good info in this one. You guys listen in closely and we will see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you we have on the phone with us today, Daniel Hayes with Mossy Oak. And Daniel is the director of brand marketing. And he gets to do, I'm not going to say all the fun stuff at, at Mossy Oak, but a lot of the fun stuff with Mossy Oak, with the marketing and all that stuff. A big time marketing department over there. If you're on their email list, then you're getting some of that. And obviously that, that whole process is quite broad from ads on podcasts, ads in magazines, ads on TV shows their own podcasts, their own TV shows, their own videos, social media, email marketing, on and on and on. And we're glad to have Daniel on today. Speaking of that marketing that he does, we're going to talk a little bit about the new conservation stamp that Mossy Oak has out for 2023. And I hear a little rumor that we may be discussing a hunt that happened recently as well so daniel sir how are you today i'm doing well i'm doing well thank you guys for uh, having me back i know we got to talk last turkey season too but um yeah the the hunt we'll save that for later but that was i got to take colonel tom kelly and his daughter laura uh turkey hunting last saturday and short of Short of some of these mornings that we've shared with my granddad the past few, uh, that was the hunt of a lifetime and, and a morning I'll never forget. That was uh, the, outside of my papa, that was the most memorable hunt of my life. And I, uh, it would take a lot to ever top that. Yeah, that's cool. 
I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. So how has your season been going aside from that hunt? It's been going pretty well. Uh, the the fun part of my job, like you said, is not the um, not the tactical advertising side of things, but especially the past year has been, there's been a lot of projects going on that I, I'll probably won't have a more interesting, I hope I have a more interesting year than this sometime, but if I don't, that's not necessarily a bad thing because we've had our plate full with as many cool projects as possible. You know, we, we launched the, the turkey stamp last spring and then we got to, you know, all that, that followed that with Gamekeeper Grants being our grant funding arm uh, that, you know, the turkey stamp money is issued out to working on the Wild Turkey Lab with Dr. Chamberlain, reviving Maltio Companions, our original casual clothing uh, that Dad and Bob Dixon and all them created back in the day. And, and certainly last but not least, working on those longer than a year. It's been two and a half years in the making, but the turkey vest that we made for my granddad, all of those were where, uh, you know, when I'm looking back on my career one day, those are the fact that all those happened in one spring is is incredible. We've been extremely busy, but it is it's been an absolute blast being able to work on some of the things we've done lately. Yeah, man, the Mr. Fox vest was a <laughs> tremendous hit. So yeah. some some kind of marketing job on that, and I'm not I don't mean it that in a negative way at all. I mean that as a compliment, getting the word no, out yeah. to let so many people know that you know, that that product was going to be available and in short supply. And I mean, it, it's, it was unlike anything that I've ever seen in the turkey hunting industry. So, yeah, uh, it's funny that you said that about good job marketing, because, uh, you know, there, anytime you're, it's been such an unbelievable experience, but anytime there's enough positive attention on something, you have a few angry people that have to come out of the woodworks and try to say something <laughs> negative about it. But there were a couple of people that, kept trying to say that you know this that they were trying to make the project sound less special and just say we were marketing geniuses and I, my answer to that was you know if it weren't for the the bob dixon vest then you know the the kind of anticipation around the fox vest it still would have been incredibly special because of what my papa has come to mean to so many folks and come to represent these past few years and over his his lifetime chasing turkeys but if it weren't for the dixon vest there wouldn't have been you know oh i've got to camp out on the sidewalk to ensure that i have a chance to get one kind of thing. So my answer to anybody that said we were marketing genius that this took about, we made the Dixon Vest in, in 2007. If you think that this was just marketing, uh, really good marketing, then good luck 17 years from now when you decide it's time to sell whatever product you think you're going to follow our playbook on. <laughs> yeah, so, very true. That's a good point. But yeah, it was, it was amazing. You know, I, my brother and I were too young to really be part of uh, high school uh, being made and, and, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to have a relationship with Mr. Bob as adults, but, you know, he was always, he was the life of the party and, and any turkey camp when we were kids. And we've thankfully gotten to remain really close friends with his son, Will, who's cut from the same cloth, basically a carbon copy of, of Bob. But, you know, with this being the only turkey vest that Mossy Oaks ever made in someone's honor, the first one being for Mr. Bob. And after he passed away from cancer, if, if anybody listening doesn't know the story of Bob, the, the short story is he was one of the first Mossy Oak employees in 1987, and he essentially was everyone's best friend that that was a like-minded turkey hunter. He was the last one up drinking beer at camp. He was the first one up making coffee. He was a world-class turkey hunter and just an all-around good guy. I mean, he, he felt like everybody's best friend. Everybody loved hanging around him, and he got cancer and passed away in the early 2000s, and so that Dixon vest was a way to honor his legacy, and the cool part about it now is that, you know, because 
a lot of people have kept up and wish my papa luck and and you know seen pictures of him killing turkeys these past few years there's been a lot of a lot more people aware of of kind of his turkey hunting legacy and his life and and all that over the years but you know with mr bob when he passed away there was no no social media back then there was a big circle of people that you know considered him a friend but if it weren't for the dixon vest there's a whole bunch of people that are you know there's people that are 21 years old and they think the dixon vest is the coolest turkey vest ever made and there's you know, thousands of people that never would have heard Mr. Bob's name if it weren't for that vest. So that's the cool part about this. And, and even though there's a lot of people that have been keeping up with my granddad over the past few years, there's going to come a time 10, 20 years from now, whatever it is, where if it weren't for the turkey vest that we made in his name, there'd be a whole bunch of people that would have never had a reason to, to know, you know, hear the name Mr. Fox or learn about what he stood for and what he cared about. And so that, that to me, having the hindsight of the Dixon vest, and seeing the impact that it's made and carrying old Mr. Bob's legacy, that is the coolest part of, of everything we had to do with the vest for my granddad. And the fact that, you know, when we started working on it almost two and a half years ago, there was no guarantee, you know, his health kind of, you know, ebbs and flows. There was no guarantee that he was still going to be around to, to see it when it came to fruition and, and for him to see all these people celebrating him and, and wishing him well and, and keeping up with, with him has, has been unbelievable. And for him and my grandmother to be able to experience it, it, it's been been the, the project of a lifetime for sure yeah yeah uh, how, i can imagine what, what did mr fox think of it all oh man well he's he's never used the internet before so he's never really fully grasped <laughs> all over the country that that you know keep up with the the streak as some people have called it which if you don't if you hadn't seen turkey hunting my granddad killed his first turkey in 1945 and or sorry 1944 and he had tuberculosis for a couple of years during college. So there were a couple of years where he, he almost died, but he wasn't able to turkey hunt. So if you take those couple of years out, he's successfully killed a turkey in 75 consecutive turkey seasons that he's hunted. So these past few years when it's really been a team effort, you know, it's taken me and my brother and my dad, all of us holding him by the elbows and, and making sure he, he can get to the tree and my grandmother taking care of him at home and, and all that to give him an opportunity to, to kill another turkey when he, he can't just, go out by himself and, and hunt anymore you know, that is kind of everybody's been keeping up with and, and cheering him on but because it's such a cool i think everybody kind of aspires to that if you care about turkey hunting it's it's a cool thought to think that one day that you'd have a, a kid or a grandkid that cares enough about you and your you know family traditions with hunting to make sure that when you're 90 years old you still got someone to take you hunting so anyway he's never used the internet he really doesn't you know he works for a big meatpacking company brown foods in our small town his whole career so he's always had you know he goes to the supermarket and somebody that used to work work for brown foods is asking about him or talking to him and all that but outside of our small town he doesn't really grasp all these people that that look up to him so all the people you know we had almost a thousand people that camped out in front of our store in west point and him and my grandmother were able to ride out there and see everybody and that absolutely blew his mind because he's he's never had any way to really grasp grasp all that and to see all those people you know i slept i slept in a hammock out front of the store because we didn't want to leave everybody out there if they were in it for the long haul that we were too so for him to drive by and and a day before the vest went on sale see all those people that were out there and everybody was waving to him and and uh i mean it was it was just incredible my grandmother was just laughing and couldn't believe it either and it was it was amazing it was really special yeah that is cool that's really cool yeah. Before we get into talking about this year's stamp, tell us a little bit about last year's stamp. You know, there's some information online on the website about, you know, how much money was raised and that kind of thing. But in case 
somebody's not seen that and you know they they don't know what you guys did with last year's stamp the inaugural stamp so to speak give us a little history on how much money that raised and and what that some of those funds are going towards yeah and first off anybody who's listening that that bought a stamp last year or they bought one this year we were absolutely blown away by the level of enthusiasm everyone showed it was really was it was it was cool and everybody anybody knows anything about Seattle knows that we don't we don't apologize for the fact that that turkeys are first and foremost uh, the lifeblood of the company. It's the reason Mossy Oak exists. Bottom line, never would have been created if Dad and my granddad weren't trying to hide from turkeys. And you know, we're in a position now where we've always cared a little, a little more about turkeys. But turkeys didn't necessarily need us in in such a dire way as they do now for the entirety of Mossy Oak. But you know, they're they're very important to us, mean a lot to our family, to our company, and all the people that that represent Mossy Oak. So. To create that stamp last year and see the response from everybody just showed how many turkey hunters there are out there that that care about these things to the level that, that we care about them. And, you know, everybody who bought one, even if it's just $15, the feeling of this kind of shared community of like-minded turkey hunters who, who don't just want to go out and kill a turkey and, and say that's, you know, the population dynamics, somebody, somebody else's problem. There's a lot of people out there that want to go the extra mile and don't always know how or, or ways to that they can help out and be part of the solution but there's, there's a whole bunch out there that 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 think about it the way all of us do and it was pretty cool to see so we raised around a hundred thousand dollars just with the sale of that single stamp last year like i said it was incredible especially for us because you know if you're you know the state of wisconsin or arkansas and you're selling a turkey stamp you're you're selling those not as a destination purchase even though there's some people like us i know that'll go and buy one every year even if you're not hunting that state but most of those are somebody that's buy a hunt license and you say would you like to buy a turkey stamp or maybe it's required whatever it is so for all these turkey owners to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of these stamps when they were going to our website for no other reason than that they'd heard about the stamp and they wanted to go support it it's really really cool and i think on a broader scale yeah it's really cool that we're able to raise some money and luckily we have dr chamberlain and marcus lashley kind of help guiding us of the most impactful ways to spend this money and the research that we can support since they, they have such a good grasp of the, the footprint of impactful projects going on around the country. But I would say the most exciting thing and, and my long-term goals for us with this stamp is if we can, you know, right now, Arkansas, I, th- I think that's been well documented that, that Arkansas, even though their, their turkey population is suffering more than any southeastern state, they're still, you know, they revived their stamp program and they're raising a bunch of money that's earmarked specifically for turkeys. Uh, Wisconsin has a turkey stamp, but there's a lot of states that, even though they sold one for a decade plus, 30, 40 years ago, have not revived their stamp yet. So I think our my, my biggest goal with this program is that it would inspire, and I know some states are already working on it in the Southeast, but if we can help kind of motivate a couple of these states that have procrastinated reviving their turkey stamp program and get the, that going again, I think you know, all of these southeastern states and then a lot of other states with extreme population that have seen a tougher impact on their turkey population. You're talking about millions of dollars a year that would be earmarked for turkey research. That's not going to get, not that white-tailed deer and these other species don't need help at the state level, but, you know, I hear a lot of people that say, I wish my state would spend more money trying to help turkeys. And then, you know, money gets diverted because some CWD samples that they didn't account for need extra funding and that kind of stuff. So the most exciting thing would be if we three, four years from now are looking at a footprint where all 49 states with a turkey population are selling turkey stamps again over the course of a decade, that's 
tens of millions of dollars going toward turkey research. So that would be the long-term goal with all of this. But anyway, we, like I said, we're, we're lucky that we have a good relationship with Mike Chamberlain and Marcus Lashley. They're, they're so great at what they do and they're both incredible biologists, but they're, they're also really passionate turkey hunters. So that, that's the, I think, A, they're really good at putting complicated research into layman's terms that any turkey owner can understand, but B, that, you know, the cool thing about them is that they are turkey hunters. So that's why they're so good at what they do. And uh, the lens that they see things through is unique compared to, you know, a biologist who does it turkey hunt. So um, the, this was not one of those things where we try to spend the grant money as quickly as we got it in because we want, we want to make sure we're spending it in the most impactful way possible. So thankfully, we had an opportunity to issue a really impactful grant with the, the first funds that were issued. That was about a month ago. We issued a $30,000 grant to the Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study, which is LPDB research going on at University of Georgia's Warnell School of Forestry and Natural Resources, where uh, Dr. Chamberlain works. And that Dr. Chamberlain is a big part of that, overseeing that research himself. But Dr. Nicole Nemeth, uh, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, I think I am. I haven't gotten to meet her yet, but uh, she's kind of like the one getting her hands dirty in, in that uh, study, kind of heading it up. So um, as everybody probably has heard over the past year or two, there's more and more questions about lymphoproliferative disease and the impact it has on turkeys. And um, it's a really, really hot issue right now. The problem is that there are a ton of states and a ton of local populations that can tell you the proliferation of LPDB, but they can't necessarily tell you what it means, you know, if you say 40% of my turkey population is impacted by LPDB, then, you know, that's good that you know that. But if you don't actually know what 40% of your population have an LPDB means for your turkeys, then uh, you're not really answering the questions that you need to be answering. So the goal of these uh, studies that are taking place under the University of Georgia is to be able to answer, okay, what's the, the brood rearing or the uh, reproductive health implications of a, of a hen that has LPDB and are there, is any of that transmitted at birth? And, you know, are there poults that are uh, born with the disease that's carried over from the hen and does that change the pecking order as those turkeys grow up? Is the survival rate lower? A bunch of downstream impact that I'm not smart enough to talk about fluently uh, beyond what I just said. But um, the cool thing is what's going on here is really kind of trailblazing study, but they're, inoculating wild population of turkeys with LPDV and studying kind of a, a sample brood of turkeys and one that has the disease and one that does not. And so they're going to be able to really closely study and evaluate the the impacts of, of these birds as they grow up. And as luckily with a lot of turkey research going on right now, it's, it's research that is not limited to just the population that's being studied. Whereas, you know, some research might be if you're studying a Georgia problem, it only impacts Georgia turkeys. But the, mm-hmm. the good thing about LPDV research is that it it's data that can be used and, and that can be helpful to, you know, any state in the country that has a turkey population that's impacted by LPDV. So we're really, really proud to, for that to be our first major grant issue, you know, working through Lashley and, and Chamberlain uh, throughout the year. We'll be, we'll be supporting more research, but we'll also be documenting it and, uh, We'll certainly be uh, showcasing the, the research that we're studying and shining a light on it so people can keep up with it and know where the money's going on Mossy Oaks platforms. But what is, what's very cool that the site is live now, but it'll be soon and kind of revamped. But we've been working with Dr. Chamberlain on what is called the Wild Turkey Lab. So that's something that he's been pursuing for a while. And it'll be used both as, I know there's a lot of people that 
that want to have a really cohesive way to to go back and and read and and look through a bunch of you know Dr. Chamberlain's life's work because he is he is so incredible at at taking his research and and making it easily digestible by a lot of turkey owners. So this will be a combination of a website that has an archive of uh, the wild turkey writings of Dr. Chamberlain, but also a way to feature stories on on more turkey research that's going on around the country in a uh, in a way that maybe traditionally was only accessible if you're a PhD student or you knew where to look. We'll we'll have a lot more spotlight on turkey research that that any turkey owner can can go and and read about and and watch videos for. Very cool. Yeah, that's you know one of those diseases that I don't think we have even scratched the surface on and it is it is exactly what you said. It's not a Georgia problem. It's not a Pennsylvania problem. It's not a Colorado problem. It's an entire U.S. problem. So the more we can know on that, the better, and that's good. So hopefully we can, we turkey hunters can pile on some money this year for this year's stamp. So tell us, give us a little history on this year's stamp, who the artist is, and, you know, how it how you guys chose the artist and then kind of lead into from there where people can go to get one or oh, 20. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, that's a, been a really fun part of working on these stamps is I know a lot of people listen. I know Cameron, especially you, you're really passionate about the, the history and the literature and, and a lot of the art that, that comprises yeah. the, the history of, of turkey hunting. So it was really overwhelming trying to pick the artwork for uh, for the stamp last year, with it being the inaugural one, I originally thought we were going to commission a, a, a painting for it, but then we realized that we had we had this turkey painting called a Mossiac Moment that had been hanging above the mantle at our turkey camp for almost 20 years, and so it was just the perfect kind of father and a son up against the tree with some turkeys and underneath some hardwoods, uh, and it was just the perfect painting. So, you know, we were thinking maybe maybe the second year, this year's stamp, we would be commissioning a, a, a turkey painting that would be created just for the stamp. But then as we were kind of digging into more turkey history, uh, this this really, really cool story unraveled that just has layers and layers of, of unique history, both to Mossy Oak and to the turkey literature community. So I was at my, my grandparents' house, my grandpapa, Fox and Evelyn, and uh, they've had this turkey painting since before I was born. They've had a, a painting of a, of a turkey above the, their fireplace. And I was, I'm always kind of just, coming through some of the the books and old photo albums and and things that are in my my grandparents living room which 90 percent of that is either hunting pictures or old hunting books or or whatever and we never knew growing up but whenever we got older we found out that robert hit neil who wrote the flaming turkey my brother's name n-e-i-l-l is a kind of unique spelling of neil and robert hit neil's name was spelled the same way and we never knew that that is that was my mom's great uncle and my mom oh cool my dad's side of the family has obviously all kind of, of turkey hunters all throughout it with cousins and third cousins and whoever else, but there's really no one that turkey hunts on my mom's side of the family. So for us to find that out made it even cooler because we didn't really know that there was any kind of history of turkey hunting on her side. So Robert Hitneal wrote the book and then the artist, Bob Tompkins, is who who did the flaming turkey artwork and then there's you know, there's some forty or fifty sketches and paintings that are inside the pages of the flaming turkey. So when Robert Hitneal wrote that book, him and Bob Tompkins both were living living in the Delta. Bob was an art teacher at, at Delta State, and that was kind of the heyday of wildlife art where it was a lot easier back then than it is now to make a living full-time being an artist. And, you know, people sold 
prints in, in a lot higher quantities than they do now. So Bob and, and Robert kind of were going to split the, the revenue from the book 50-50. They were going to make a painting called The Flaming Turkey and sell prints from it. And that was going to be the cover of the book. And then they were going to sell the book. And it was kind of a joint venture. When I was looking at the copyright page of The Flaming Turkey, I saw that it attributed a couple of the the paintings. They were all owned by Bob, except for a couple that were owned by Brown, the, the company my, my granddad worked for forever. So I, I started looking more and more into all the, the art, the wildlife art from back in the day that Bob had painted. And then I saw when I was flipping through the pages of the book, that's the name of the painting that my, my grandparents had hanging above their mantle is called Captain Hook's Gobbler. And uh, I saw that that painting was in the pages of the Flaming Turkey because up to this point, I hadn't read the book yet. And that, that it was extremely cool to me too. And so I started asking him all kinds of questions about Bob and he had, he had retired and still had an art studio. So I immediately I called Bob and, and went and spent the day with him, visiting with him about, you know, his history and friendship with Mossy Oak over all these years. And uh, immediately, as soon as I connected all those dots, me and my brother Neil were like, all right, this, if Bob is, is willing, this has to be the, the art for the next turkey stamp. That's too cool history, especially the fact that he painted that painting for my granddad. And Bob, is, he's so not, he's got such a cool history of wildlife art. He did a couple, he did a turkey stamp for the state of Mississippi in the 80s too. But when I asked him, he said, man, I painted that for your granddad. So as far as I'm concerned, it's yours to do what you want with it. So that's how the artwork came about. And then we've gotten to use it in a couple of cool ways too. We we revived Mossier Companions, our original casual clothing line. And if you remember back in the day in the 80s and early 90s, it was really common. Those wildlife embroidered button-down shirts, you know, that would have an elk or a, a, yeah. a mallard mm-hmm. or a whatever above the chest pocket that was kind of in the heyday of companions so we whenever we brought companions back recently we wanted to bring that that series back because nobody really makes shirts like that anymore so our inaugural shirt um that we we made for nwtf had the same turkey from the painting and the stamp uh embroidered above the pocket of the shirt so we're we're calling that the right shirt after the our home camp hunting land is called the right place anyway so that'll be an ongoing series we'll have We'll have new embroidered turkey shirts coming every spring and, and a bunch of other wildlife and fish species and whatnot, too. So that's cool. And then we also, if you drank one at NWTF, and you've already seen it, but we made, since we had so much going on at NWTF this year, decided that we would make 100 cases of Long Beard Light. So we worked with a brewery at Arkansas, Flyway Brewing, and, and we had the turkey from the stamp, from the painting and all that on, on the can on our inaugural Long Beard Light. That it had a poor one for the pulse on it. So that was another cool way to celebrate the artwork behind the stamp and all that good stuff and help get the word out. And yeah, so there's, like I said, there's a whole bunch of layers that went in the stamp and the artwork from, from this year, but that, that is that's such a cool part of it is it, it's a lot more, you know, versus other like surfing or climbing or, or fishing, even the, the history of, of turkey hunting and really, really any kind of hunting is it's well documented, but it's not as well archived and cataloged in a modern day to some of these other kind of niches of really passionate communities people have for some kind of outdoor pursuit. So it's a lot more fragile than I think people realize that some of these stories and old books and articles and paintings, it only takes one generation, especially nowadays, for some of these stories to kind of be lost to to the sands of time. So that's one of the cool things through Mossy Oak, through the stamp. Cameron, again, has done a really good job just personally himself of sharing stories of some of these old books. I know Brent Rogers, I call him my favorite history teacher, but I know Brent has been as good of a friend and a, and a mentor to Cameron as he has been to me about, you know, the history of turkey hunting and turkey literature specifically. But yeah, it's, it's a cool part of, I think a lot of people are, are getting more and more exposed and there's a lot more people 
getting more passionate about it at an early age now. And so it's cool to see the enthusiasm that a lot of people have about preserving the history of turkey hunting and the turkey hunting community and, you know, old writers and authors and artists and all that good stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, what what you said is true and, you know, about how it would only take one generation to lose a lot of the stories and everything else. And I think a lot of that is because so many of the old time turkey hunters just didn't share information. They didn't care if you knew anything about turkeys or turkey hunting at all. They didn't care if you even had never seen a turkey that was good. if You never saw one as long as they could see them. So, yeah, the turkey hunting back back then, even, you know, 30 years ago when I started, had this mystique about it. And, you know, I, I think I think it's cool that a lot of the old literature kind of keeps that mystique alive because it's gone now. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's cool, too. Even in the you know relatively recent history, even though it, it sounds like a long time ago, but a bunch of, you know, even Flaming Turkey, but Gene Nunnery and Tom Kelly and some of those guys who, who kind of wrote through the heyday, the golden age, I'll, I'll call it the golden age of, of turkey media when, you know, through the 70s and 80s and 90s when so many good books were written and uh, kind of the late 80s, mid 90s heyday of, of turkey hunting videography. Even even some of those guys, some of that stuff, you know, there's there's not, I, I know Gene Nunnery's family just started reprinting Old Pro Turkey Hunter and, and, and actually recorded it in audiobook form which was really cool but a lot of these books you know they're not easily accessible online unless you're buying spend a lot of money on ebay or a used book site and a lot of them don't have audiobooks that you know you can listen to in the truck or if you're a travel turkey hunter while you're traveling and all that kind of stuff so yeah it is you know a lot of a lot of these things even if they weren't really that long ago just in the 80s or 90s they're still not necessarily cataloged in the in the best possible way online to make them accessible to everybody so that's definitely a big goal of of ours in the coming yeah. years, preserve those things and make them as accessible as possible to uh, the current generation of turkey hunters as we can. Yeah, that the book you mentioned that the artwork was in the Flaming Turkey is an excellent book, by the way. If any listeners are looking to get something to read about turkeys, I I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Yeah, it's it was funny too because before I read it, you know, you see the cover and you hear the title, the Flaming Turkey, and it sounds like it's referring to some really reverend, majestic yeah. uh, turkey saint. <laughs> As soon as you start reading the book, there in the first chapter, you get the actual story of the flaming turkey and the the cigarette falling in his lap with the turkey out in front of him and all that. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it uh, is really funny. It kind of shattered an illusion that I had about the book. Yeah, uh, just well, the, in the book by the, the cover is like very majestic, you know, strutting gobbler. And uh, I don't know, I'm with you. I thought it was some reference to you know this turkey he probably chased for years that beat him and he had named it and it was a uh, completely wrong. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff there. Yeah. So where can someone get a mossy oak turkey stamp? I don't know if you've referenced that yet, but online is the only way, I assume. Yep, online, or if you happen to be in our small town of West Point, you can get one at our share. But yeah, if you just Google mossy oak turkey stamp, it'll be the first thing that comes up. That's the easiest. I mean, you can if you type in mossyoak.com/slash/wild-turkey-stamp, that'll take you directly to the page. But just get on Google and search Mossy Oak Turkey Stamp and you'll be there in no time. And I, I can't say thank you enough to anybody who bought a stamp last year, buys another stamp this year. And, and we we take a lot of pride in, in bottom line and Mossy Oak being a, a uniform for turkey hunters that, that think the same way we do. So we, we take a lot of pride too in making sure that 
this money is is spent in the most impactful and best way possible. So I want to say again, too, that I think one of the cool things about looking at the revival of all turkeys and the history of turkeys and, you know, my granddad has kind of been put on this pedestal here recently as like this icon in the turkey world as a conservation figure. And, and not that he doesn't deserve that because he is an incredibly gracious and humble guy and he's lived such a good life and has dedicated himself to leaving the land better than he's found it. And all those ideals that he kind of represented himself have been woven into the fabric of Mossy Oak. But I think the coolest thing about everyone celebrating my granddad and his, you know, I, I, I always call his, that generation, him and Colonel Kelly and all them, the Turkey Evans greatest generation. But the cool thing is that, you know, it's not, it wasn't just, and this is true of any, any wildlife species that was on the brink of extinction that, that came back and, and had a full revival around the same time as turkeys did. But, you know, none of this would have happened without big organization, really, really smart biologists around the country helping lead the way. But it, it also wouldn't have happened without all the, all the individual people that were just insanely passionate hunters that a bunch of their friends thought they were crazy because they cared so much about this, this one game species. Uh, and in our case, you know, that it was, it was all those people who probably had people thinking they were nuts for caring about turkeys as much, but you know, you had big organizations and you had the NWTF being founded and you had uh, these, these really influential biologists that were leading the way, but them on their own wouldn't have saved the turkey in the manner that they did. You know, it was what the cool thing about my granddad is, it's not that he by himself was some you know monumental figure. It was that, I, I, at least to me, anyways, he he is kind of representative of of all these people who's in some random county in South Carolina or or, or Minnesota or wherever whose name you're never going to hear unless you're from that town. It was it was a thousand guys like that 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 were the reason that turkeys went from being you know extirpated from nearly every state on the brink of extinction and and. I've seen the revival that we've seen nowadays. And, and to me, that's what my granddad represents is, is all those people that you've never heard the story of, but a, a bunch of guys just like him that were really passionate, that cared more about turkeys than anything in the world, that, that made sure that the footprint kept growing and growing and growing until, you know, everyone but Alaska had a thriving turkey population again. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of legendary figures like that, one most people have heard of would be Tom Kelly. and. I saw a picture. It looked like you got to go on a turkey hunt with Mr. Tom or Colonel Tom. Yeah, Colonel Tom. Man, yeah. Talk about the hunt of a lifetime. Well, how did that come together? And why don't you tell us how it went? Yeah, so we, my brother and I, for years, you know, anybody who goes to the WTF convention in Nashville, if you've been going for a while, you you know that without any fanfare, Colonel Kelly is just sitting at this lemonade stand-sized table signing books, just on the show floor mixed in there with everybody else for years and years he was still coming to the show he's still signing books and and it was such a highlight for a lot of people to see him but i think a lot of people took it for granted because yeah he was 90 years old and he was still coming to the show and and signing books and sitting there on the floor and listening to people's stories and and all that i think a lot of people took for granted that that you know he was always going to be there and a few years back uh his health got to the place where where he couldn't come to the show anymore and you know, his, his, his wife passed away and they'd always lived in out. And after she passed, his only child, Laura, lives in Washington, D.C. So, you know, rather than stay in Alabama by himself so that he was close to her and she could take care, help take care of him and, and he could be close to his grandkids and all that, he moved into the city in D.C. So between that and not coming to the show anymore, a lot of people haven't really known his whereabouts or if he's still hunting or, or any of that good stuff over the past few years. So my brother and I, had had wanted to get him and my granddad together for a really long time they both were born in mobile alabama they both grew up down the street from each other they both lived their entire life you know 
Colonel Kelly was a forester. My my granddad worked for Brown Foods Meatpacking Company, and they had their careers. But every second that wasn't dedicated to their career, their biggest passion in life was was turkey hunting and and the pursuit of wild turkeys. So it was crazy that they had never. They kind of they're these nearly identical fellows that grew up and were born right next to each other. And turkey hunting had been such a big part of their lives, and they'd never never even met. Not not just they hadn't hunted together, but they never even met each other. So we we were determined to get them together for a camp. So two years ago, we got them together at our camp in Alabama, and and neither one of them killed a turkey. But the anticipation of all these years of 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 wanting to get them together and finally making it happen when they were both you know over 90 years old, and and almost every one of of each of their respective turkey hunting buddies that was their same age has long since passed away. It was it just felt really monumental and like like we were part of something special that wasn't. It was a lot bigger than us. It was meant a lot to the whole turkey hunting community that cares about the history of, of turkey hunting. But the first morning of that camp, I was on the tree with Colonel Kelly and my dad and brother were back behind us calling. And we had these turkeys that came into gun range three separate times. The first time they were 15 steps to my right. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough for a right-handed shooter to get on a bird to the right, even if you're fully healthy. But Colonel Kelly didn't have a shot in hell at pulling that off. So we just had to sit there dead silent. And I could hear his heart pounding through his chest. And they slipped off, and then they came back in again and got spooked at, like, you know, 8-something in the morning and flew up into a tree 50 yards in front of us and sat there for 30 minutes. And he never thought – it was cool because he never thought he would hear a turkey gobble again because his years in the military combined with his years hunting, his his hearing is not real great. And he was able to hear those turkey gobbling right in his face, so that was extremely cool. But the third time they came back into gun range – I mean, it was like they were, it was like somebody, one of his old hunting buddies was pulling some strings from upstairs. I mean, these, these turkeys wouldn't, wouldn't just walk off and, and give us any closure. They came back into gun range one more time. And I mean, it was absolutely picture perfect. They were 30 yards away. They were at the edge of the wood. We were in the woods and they were at the edge of the woods. And it was, I mean, his, the turkey's head looked like a true glow sight. I mean, it was this bright, bright red with a green background. And it was like a perfect spot for, for the Colonel to take a shot. And, I did, it was a really quick window and he wasn't on him and I was trying to get him on him. And he, and just as soon as he picked the gun up to aim, the turkey slipped off and, and that was that. But mm. for the last two years, I mean, I know to everybody else that was, that saw him and my granddad get together, they were just thankful. Like just seeing them on the porch together was a really powerful image and really cool celebration. But to me, knowing that there was a chance for the Colonel to kill another turkey and, and knowing that if I could have, I mean, you know, you don't want to grab him and be disrespectful or anything, but I just, I've always had this lingering regret that if I could have got him on that turkey, he, he would have killed him. And, you know, I should have talked louder or should have grabbed him by the elbow or whatever it was. But, you know, this year, as we started getting closer to the season, I was talking to his daughter, Laura, and a lot of prayers were sent that he would be still in good enough health whenever April rolled around. But we were, we were hoping that we were going to be able to get him out one more time. And, you know, the, the day finally, finally got here. He's he's beyond being able to to travel long distances anymore. So bringing him to Mississippi or Alabama was out of question. So we went to we went to Virginia, and luckily my buddy Keith Ott from Chasing Forty Nine grew up in Virginia, and and he had some really good dirt that we could hunt that he could make sure that nobody hunted all year. And he kind of dedicated his home season there to to doing everything he could to give the Colonel a, a chance to kill a turkey if if. Yeah, he was still feeling good enough, and, and we could make it happen. So last Friday, I went to Virginia. I met Keith there, and 
Laura and Tom drove, I mean, it was like an hour from, I think, where they live. So it wasn't very far. So they drove out and man, he popped out of her car and he, he looked just as good as he did. He just, he's about to turn 96 in two weeks and he just started using the walkers. So, I mean, for his years in the military, fighting in two wars, no telling how hard his career as a forester on and, and cruising timber was on his body and all the time he spent. So again, for, for him to be still around at all, or, but especially still in the health that he's in and just now using the walker is pretty remarkable. But oh. I mean, he was in, he was in great shape. He sounded, he sounded just as good as he did two years ago in camp and just as good as he did 15 years ago, telling stories and, and memory just as sharp as it was. And Laura is an absolute angel. I mean, similar to my, the only reason my granddad's still able to hunt is because my grandmother's still around taking such good care of him. But Laura, uh, I mean, she slept on the floor next to his bed and I was in a bedroom above them. And I mean, I couldn't sleep just because I was so nervous with the anticipation of the hunt. But he was getting up all throughout the night over and over and over again. She didn't sleep a lick and she just been waiting on him hand and foot to give him one more chance to, to maybe kill a turkey. And that the the other cool part about this hunt that uh, a lot of people don't know too is that the last time Laura turkey hunted with her dad was almost 30 years ago. She was in wow. she was in college the last time they they shared a tree on yeah. a turkey hunt together. So that getting him back in the woods at all when he's about to turn 96 was was an unbelievable opportunity. But for the two of them, for you know Laura said I want to I want to hunt with him. I want to sit there with him. Was would just bring you to dang near to tears. So anyway we. Keith was up about 2:45 in the kitchen cooking breakfast, and we we, only, we were only going to have he wasn't feeling good enough to hunt the whole weekend, and there was rain moving in around noon, so we really only had one morning to try to make this happen. So I woke up about three, I couldn't sleep a lick, and I was just laying there, and I I went down to the kitchen, and I mean it's I it just <laughs> it, there's just so many so much nerves knowing that we were you know there were turkeys roosted, and we knew we were going to have a have a reasonable shot to to get him another turkey, so we. We got in the golf cart and we got out to the woods and the turkeys that, that Keith had roosted and been keeping an eye on, not letting anybody hunt. We got set up and him and I was, I was back in the woods, but Keith and, and Laura and Tom were sitting on the, at the edge of the woods next to this field with a, in, one of the more impressive makeshift bonds I've ever seen built. Looked like a, a fortress that he, he cut out of a bunch of trees and limbs and everything. But anyway, the turkeys that were roosted, they were gobbling on the limb. It was kind of windy, so Colonel couldn't hear him gobble. And by the time they pitched down, they just, they, they were never interested. They walked the other direction and that was that, but he was, he didn't have the stamina. I was hoping we we're going to be able to hunt all morning and maybe get on another group of turkeys, but he didn't have the stamina. It was like 7am and he was already ready to, to go back to the house. He was, he was fading and he, since he couldn't hear the gobbles, he didn't really have anything like that to lift his spirits up, to keep him engaged. And so we were, we were just getting ready to leave. You know, Keith said, can you please, you know, give it 10 more minutes. And Laura said, yeah, you know, we got, we got 10 more minutes for sure. So we were sitting there and Keith walked over and he was, he was kind of saying, what do we do? I'll, you know, there's some other turkeys gobbling back behind us. Like, can we go set up in one more spot? Don't want to push, push the Colonel if he's not feeling up for it. And then right as we were talking about it, about to go get the golf cart, these turkeys just absolutely hammered 150 yards away, but it was like a no doubter, like they're coming, no doubt. So he, just sprinted his ass off back to the Colonel and Laura and, and the turkeys just, I mean, they, they came cruising in, strutting and uh, gobbling and, and never breaking pace, just easing in one yard at a time and all the way up to, to 20 steps from the Colonel. And he was, he was holding the gun up for, I swear, it was probably five seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And at that age, 
he was he, he was freehanding it, so I was just sweating bullets that something was going to go wrong or he was going to be shaking too much. And man, he he dropped him and I sprinted out there and tackled Keith and and we we took the turkey back to back to the colonel and laid him in his lap and and Laura was crying and Colonel Kelly was laughing, just had the biggest grin on his face and man, it 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 felt really 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 magical. I mean, it felt like it took a miracle to pull it off. And I know some turkey owners will say some things are handled from the other side but this one this one definitely felt like like the turkey gods were 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 sending a favor down for one more time yeah that's awesome that's epic i mean that extra 10 minutes man sometimes that's all it takes (laughs) yep yeah it was it was unbelievable yeah (laughs) there were there were a lot of grown men tears uh flowing on that one man that's cool yeah that's probably my favorite thing about turkey hunting is you know just the highs and lows i mean you guys were down in the dumps you know and and that's you you know you you look at it from tom kelly's perspective and it was a great morning for him you know just to be in the woods with his daughter i'm sure you know and and having that one more opportunity to be in the woods and chase turkeys and you know he uh, i'm sure he was just enjoying the opportunity and being out there you know and then 10 minutes later he's got a dead turkey on the ground and you know everybody's over the moon with excitement and joy you know it just there's something about it you know i've got a friend that says it's it's filled with highs and lows and some of the lows are are like the pit of lowness and the highs are the highest highs that you can feel you know it's just something about it well, that was that was certainly one of the highest highs of my life, and and I said it earlier talking about two years ago whenever we got my granddad and Colonel Kelly together. But I, it was it was so special. But it was you know Laura Laura trusted us. She trusted us because she's seen the way we've treated my granddad, and so we know what it entails to to get somebody out in the woods at that age. And but but more than anything, it was a lot bigger than like I said earlier, just us. It was we were I was kind of you know. I was putting all this together and trying to make this hunt happen and, and being a part of it, uh, you know, on behalf of, of everybody else who considers themselves a member of the 10th Legion. I mean, there's thousands of other turkey hunters just like me that would have given up their whole season for the opportunity to take Colonel Kelly hunting. And uh, just luckily through Mossy Oak and, and through, you know, what we've done with my granddad and being friends with Laura was, was the one that she trusted with us. And, you know, Keith being there too. I know that again, it would have been just him being in the woods at all was, was really special, but, with especially with the history that we have at the camp two years ago, I wanted a turkey so bad, and for it to for it to happen right there at the edge of of us calling it a morning was was just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, thank you story. for for sharing that story with us and for getting that done for the colonel, and thank you for what you're doing with the the turkey stamp. And I just got my confirmation email for my purchase. We'll be proud well, to own a mossy oak stamp. Probably will buy some more throughout the season. But artwork's awesome on it, and thank you for joining us and talking about this with us. Well, yes. yeah, thank you guys for having me on and for supporting the stamp and and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, we had we had some people that that started buying batches of stamps to kind of use as a self tagging system. And if they kill five turkeys, they buy five stamps and stuff like that. So it's been cool to see. And we've we've seen we've had a few people put the stamp into the soundboard of a of a glass call and things like that. So um, yeah been some cool ways that, that people have used it so it's been been cool to see all that yeah well, very yeah. cool man thank you thank you yeah. daniel well uh 
Yeah, thank you guys again. Thanks for having me on, and, and good luck the rest of, of this turkey season. Yeah, you too. Right. You yeah, too. We'll same. check back in with you in the, in the not-too-distant future. Heck yeah. All cool. right, man. See Have a great day. All right. See you, fellas. All right. Good talk, man. I tell you yeah. what, we got him fired up like we got Eddie fired up a couple yeah. of weeks ago. That was good. Yeah, you can just sense the excitement, you know, surrounding the stamp and what it represents for the company and for the wild turkey. And then also with Colonel Tom Kelly, how neat of an experience that had to have been. So really cool that that we got to have him on. And, you know, if the favor of the week this week isn't obvious, I don't know what is. (laughs) Favor of the week this week is going to be to go pick up your Mossy Oak wild turkey conservation stamp. And you won't regret it. It's got some cool artwork. You get to hear about the history of that from Bob Tompkins. And it's a beautiful stamp. Comes with a letter from Toxie. And I don't think you'll regret that purchase one bit. I just got my confirmation that I'm I'm getting my first one in the mail soon. Yes, sir. So I vowed this year in my head to buy one for every kill that I've had. Nice. And I've got some catching up to do. So... Uh, what I don't want to do personally is pay for one because then, you know, I'm paying the postage for one instead of if I buy three, I'm buying, I'm paying the postage for one, but getting three. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got. I hope you go bankrupt off of this, to be honest, because that means you had a great spring. Absolutely. I'd be tickled with that. So <laughs> I've got one to make up and one to pay forward. So I figure I'll just go ahead and buy three instead of two. Good deal. Good deal. I like it. I have two paid forward. There you go. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, that's obviously the favorite of the week this week. So, guys, go get your stamp. I got one from last year, mine this year. I plan to make it a collectible item. I want to have them for every year they do it. Yep. Very cool. I have a a little small favorite of the week I want to throw in there, too. All right. I don't know that any of the listeners to this show would do this or not, but don't be a jerk. It's turkey season. Don't be a jerk. If somebody beats you to a spot, they beat you. Get there earlier tomorrow. If somebody's working a bird and you know it, lay off of it. It's not safe and it's not cool. And all the other etiquette things that you know to do, do them. And then lastly, be safe. So, You must have gone to seminary before this week because you just preached it. I'm in on that. Yeah. Well, there are more of us enjoying this sport than ever. By far. I don't care what the conservation organizations say. Yes. (laughs) It's not declining. (laughs) It is not. There are more enjoying it than ever. And so, you know, we, and it's harder for an old guy like me, who when he started, not many people at all were doing this. This being turkey hunting, period. And then, you know, when I started the Super Slam, hardly no one was doing it because that was 20, right at 20 years ago that I started it. Yep. Now it seems like everyone's turkey hunting and it seems like everyone's doing a Super Slam and we just have to be more patient, especially those of us who've been doing it for a long time, who aren't used to the crowds and aren't used to everything else. So let's just be cool, you know, just offer a little, a little graciousness a little grace for others who are trying to accomplish the same thing that we are so yeah all right good good stuff we'll wrap well, it up let's wrap it up and cameron you be safe traveling in the rain and hunting 
over the next few days. Good luck to you. Yes, sir. Thank you. I expect to see a dead turkey picture bright and early in the morning. So I sure hope so. That would that would really be a good way for this to go. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up and say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.